Hello, I'm Haya, and thank you for welcoming us into your ears. You've tuned in to Human Awareness, a podcast about what it means to be human and the various ways that that shows up for people. And hi, I'm Kate, and I'm so glad to have you here with us. Haya and I are representing the Human Awareness Institute, or HI for short, as we explore important themes related to love, intimacy, and sexuality. Obviously, our podcast can't replace our workshops, but we hope that in these interviews, you're able to catch a glimpse of who we are and what we do. Shall we get started with the interview? Yes. Come settle in with me and I'll hit play. I am here today for our first episode back, season three, with my co-host Taya, and we have a very, very special guest here today. His name is Chaz August. He is a retired facilitator from the Human Awareness Institute, and he is a love and intimacy coach. And so I am just so honored to spend this time with you, Chaz, and I wonder if you might tell us your pronouns and where you're calling in from. Uh, Thank you. It's uh, lovely to be here. Uh, My pronouns, I I am a he, uh, they, uh, him, and... uh, where, I, where I'm calling from uh, right now, I'm in uh, Albany, California, in my backyard office, where I pretty much uh, spend most of my time during the pandemic. <laughs> Wonderful. Have you been able to make it cozy during the pandemic? Um, I have a little, I'm very blessed. We, my wife and I have a little house in Albany in a small backyard, but we built a little 10 by 12 uh building that's got electricity so i have heat and rugs on the floor and lots of windows and i just it, i feel like i just sit in a garden mm. all day long and uh, connect with the world electronically it's very mm. lovely beautiful so chaz you have years and years and years of experience both within the human awareness institute and in your independent work with people of coaching people in their relationships and We've invited you today to talk with us a little bit about jealousy. And so I'm wondering if you can start us off by talking about, from your perspective, where you think jealousy comes from and why so many of us experience it. Sure. I'm happy to. So um, first, it is my experience that jealousy is not a human emotion. It is a mammal emotion. If you have ever owned multiple cats or a cat and a dog or multiple dogs or multiple horses, you, I am sure, have had the experience of petting one and have the other one come up and push that one out of the way and put their, you know, and put their head in your hand, you know, that, that, that if you've ever been around multiple pets, your pets get jealous. They want your attention. And when you're giving your attention to a different pet, they get jealous. So, so I, I just, I think the first biggest message I always want to tell people about jealousy is it's okay. That, that we feel jealous is not a bad thing. It's wired into us. It's wired into most mammals. Um, it shows up in different ways. It is the thoughts we have about it and the ways we react to it, which can be really hurtful to others and to ourselves. But jealousy in and of itself comes with being on this planet in a mammal form. So really, if you're, if you're hoping I'm going to tell you how never to be jealous, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't know that trick. I don't, right? And, and I want to say, I, <laughs> there's a lovely song right now uh, by Labyrinth 
called Jealous. And it makes me cry every time I hear it. I actually, I sent you, you both, I sent you a, a, a YouTube of it. Um, because it so expresses that thing of, uh, I, I'm longing for someone and I can't have them. And part of me is angry that I can't have them. And part of me wishes them all the best in the world, but I keep hoping that they'll find out that they really miss me and they come back. <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> it just says it all so beautifully. I, I think there is a power in embracing what we feel and expressing what we feel in non-destructive ways. And that's really what I want to talk about, about jealousy. So great. Let's, let's start there. So we ex are experiencing jealousy. I think there's a lot of emotions that can come up around jealousy, a lot of thoughts, maybe mm -hmm. even a lot of stories, right? So tell us a little bit about what you mean about expressing your emotions or experiencing your emotions in a non-destructive way. Absolutely. So it's a funny thing we humans do. Um, there is how the world is, and then there is this map that we construct to be able to talk about it. And that map is language. Language is a map. It's not the world. I can describe to you what I'm feeling, but you may never know exactly what I'm feeling. I can describe to you what I'm thinking, but you still may never know exactly what I'm thinking. Because like all maps, it's really useful. It's guidance. I can, you know, we can, it can help us navigate. But it, the map isn't reality. The map isn't the terrain. So jealousy. Jealousy encompasses, a, it, uh, I'm gonna use a lot of different words to describe aspects of jealousy so that we can start to get a better sense that it's a complex terrain. And I wanna say first, when jealousy becomes a problem, most often one of the first things we notice is anger. We're angry. The person, we want something from someone else and we're not getting it. We want them to stay. We want them to love us. We want them to not love someone else. We want them to, um, we, we, we want the wealth that we see somebody else has or the home that somebody else lives in. Envy is a part of jealousy, right? We, we want something and we're powerless or we feel powerless to get the thing we want. And anger is very, very, very often a manifestation of our powerlessness. We're powerless triggers a feeling inside us that most of us call anger. Um, the real way you know this is you're, you're jealous that somebody is loves somebody else instead of loving you. If you could snap your fingers and that person would look over, see you, and realize they want to be with you, would you still be experiencing jealousy? Well, of course not. Once you were powerful over them, all those feelings would just go away. They'd just vanish. But we're not powerful over other people. Sometimes we're forceful but we're barely powerful over ourselves. <laughs> we're barely, really. So, so first, one manifestation of jealousy is anger. All right, so anger. Anger, really, we're not taught well in our culture what to do with our anger. Some of it, mm. some of it, it's really, it's a funny little problem because I, I started college as an acting and directing major. I thought I was going to be in theater until I until I went my whole freshman year auditioning for everything and never getting a role. And I went and complained about it. And my faculty advisor said, you know, if not getting eight or nine roles in one year has got you this upset, 
you probably shouldn't be an actor. <laughs> you know, and it was like I had that moment of, oh yeah, this is gonna be rejection. Oh but here's the here's the thing. <sighs> Anger. We can we when we're trying to show anger in drama because it's hard to show people's internal feelings we conflate it with violence if you want to show two men and convince everybody they're angry make them menacing or make them have a fist fight or make one hit the other we there's a long tradition in movies of of men spanking women oh my god i understand the director's problem the director's problem is how do i let people know the words alone aren't going to convey the anger how do i show anger yeah, but that yeah. conflates anger and violence. And for many of us, that's kind of what our be a man training was. I'll talk about men first, then I'll talk about women. Yeah. What we learned when we were little boys and we we're out on an athletic field and we we're playing soccer and or football and somebody kicks us, you know, and we're seven, we look around and if all we see are other kids our own age, we grit our teeth and tell the person, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. Right. But if our mother is there, we burst into tears and go run, you know, climb into our mother's lap. And then we all get made fun of. Hey, look who's crying. Be a man training is when you feel hurt or pain. Put on a layer of violence. Put on your game face. Get tough. Get fearsome. Make people respect you so that you won't get hurt. It's terrible training. It's terrible training. It's not what you do with anger. Well, uh, women, I, I want to say, and I'm, this is a gross generalization, and I'm sure people have had bits of both, and there are some women who got the male training and some men who got the women training. And I just notice in my work, frequently when I get women to talk about their anger, they burst into tears. Yeah, well, of course, your training as little girls, when you were angry, well, let's just start with the English language. Tell me a word for angry woman. Could you think of one other than bitch? It's really deep in our culture that angry women are a bad thing. You learned it, women, you learned mm -hmm. it as girls. If, you know, somebody kicked you and you started to, you, you, you know, got really, your parents would basically send you to your room, tell you to act like a lady, you know, tell you, right? And what you learned pretty early on was that um, when you were angry, if you cried, you might get somebody comforting you. But if you expressed anger in any other way, you were probably going to get sent away. Mm -hmm. So there we go. We got women in pain. We got women in anger who are crying, and we got men in anger who are trying to cover it over with something tough. Is it any wonder we don't know how to express it? Okay. So let's just start with a simple way to express anger. I do this with my clients all the time. I just say, "Would you just tell me sentences that begin with the words I'm angry'?" Just speak it. You can yell it. You can growl it. You can say it as strong as you want, but you got to stay in the chair talking to me. <laughs> right? You can't hit me. <laughs> can't push me. Right? But if you want something to tear up, I'll give you some paper. You can rip it up. I'll give you a pillow if you want to punch a pillow. If that's, you know, if it's so deeply wired in you that you need some physical outlet, great, no problem. Here, here's pillows you can beat. Here's a wiffle bow bat that you can hit on a mattress. If that's what helps you get it spoken, get it out of you. It starts to make it available in the because we're all angry we all feel yeah angry. everybody feels angry and really once you learn how to actually be able to say 
I'm angry that you left me, or I'm angry that you're over there across the room talking to somebody else, and I'm lonely, and I don't know what's going on with the two of you, and I feel the, I feel all these feelings, and I want you to, you know, come back to me because I don't want to feel these feelings. Yeah, but just saying that to someone is a very responsible use of anger. So Chaz, let me pause you and see if I'm hearing some of this amazing content accurately. So part of what I'm hearing you say is we're trained to do all kinds of things to kind of manipulate our true emotions, right? Either shut it down, act tough, cry, and and we're not taught how to be with and express genuinely the emotion we're experiencing. Am I hearing you right? That's Mm -hmm. correct. I don't blame anybody for that, by the way. You know, I, I had a client uh, years and years and years ago who was a little girl in London during the Blitz. And uh, if you don't know what the Blitz is, the Germans bombed London every day in World War II. They just sent planes over every day for two years and bombed London. And you didn't know where the bombs were going to fall and you didn't know what was going to happen. But all of a sudden the sirens would go off and you and your family would leave your apartment and go down into an air raid shelter and hope that A, on your way to the air raid shelter, you didn't get blown up. And B, when you came out of the air raid shelter, that your building would still be standing. And she was a little girl. She was four or five years old. And down in that air raid shelter, they would say to her, if you cry, Hitler wins. Wow. But I get it. That's what our parents do. They they don't know what to do with our anger. Little kids have anger all the time. This is a nice thing. Before anybody tells you it's bad, little kids have anger all the time. Little kids throw tantrums. They yell. They say, there's a whole period of it called the terrible twos where, where it's likely, you know, you, at some point you're going to just explode in anger. And parents are scared of it because their parents were scared of it because the rule is nobody's supposed to, we're not, we're supposed to pretend this doesn't happen. It's cultural. So I don't blame anybody, right? I don't blame anybody. It's deep in our culture. But yeah, they didn't learn how to deal with it. And so we don't learn how to deal with it. And really how to deal with it is to just, like most feelings, embrace, accept, and let go. Yeah. So where do you think that ties in with... um, So I I completely... um, I'm actually having a slightly visceral experience right now of feeling into how anger shows up in my body. Um, And I'm realizing that for me, uh, jealousy specifically doesn't really show up as anger. It shows up as uh, fear, typically fear of loss or fear of rejection and all those kind of feelings. I feel like if I get to anger, that means that I'm... (laughs) <laughs> I'm kind of layering that on we're, top we're of that. We're going to talk about when I do this. I I talk about really four major areas. So I start with anger because it's because uh, I like to talk about mm. anger and I lead anger workshops and I think that's a problem. Then we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about fear of rejection. We're gonna talk a little bit about fear of abandonment. We're gonna talk a little bit about low self esteem mm. because all of those are wrapped up in this jealousy. Oh, and I have all four of plenty, so <laughs> let's keep going. <laughs> uh, if, you, if you ask me towards the end, I'm going to tell you why, what I love about jealousy and why I want to, what I want to invite in us about jealousy, because I don't think jealousy is all negative. I actually think there's a whole part of it that's quite beautiful. So if you want, we can go to the fear right now. <laughs> if you want, we can go to the fear. Okay. 
So I want to talk about fear for a moment, because uh, one part of our jealousy is fear. It's fear of loss, it's fear of abandonment, it's fear of rejection. Okay, so this is fear. Again, it's not just human, right? All, all mammals feel fear. Well, it's wired into us. It's a, one of the oldest parts. Let's just start with feeling is one of the oldest parts in our brain. You know, feeling really happens in the limbic system, which is back on the brain stem. And, and really, you can trace sentience. Feeling animals you, go all the way back to like lizards <laughs> on forward, right? So fear, fear. All right. Few things about fear. First, we are wired to experience it. And second, a weird consequence of our brain being able to invent scenarios, to invent stories, to think we can predict the future, a weird consequence of that is we scare ourselves with our stories. Um, you could say fear is an acronym for false evidence appearing real. <laughs> I like that. That's good. Now, I'm a... A uh, grateful member of Al-Anon, I'm, uh, I'm the adult child of an alcoholic uh, father and grew up in a very crazy alcoholic household. And in 12-step meetings early on in my, I used to say fear was fuck everything and run, <laughs> you know, just like, get out of here, right? <laughs> okay, so again, it's just like the anger. What do we do with fear? Well, what if fear was feel everything and rejoice? And I have to say that when I... I was really an adult before I first actually, uh, there was like this long gap from the time I was a child until I was in my 30s before I was comfortable even feeling my fear. And it was really this great moment. I was, I had done a lot of work on myself and there was really this great moment one day when I realized, oh, I see what's happening here. I'm afraid. Oh, that's why I'm behaving this way. And it was really, and then I just had this awareness of how hard I'd worked to shut away the everyday fear that was part of my childhood, you know, and I, and I succeeded, man, I just hid it from me. So maybe fear is feel everything and rejoice. Maybe fear is feel everything and recover. Uh, maybe it's feel excited and recover, right? Because fear, you know, sometimes fear and excitement feel the same in the body. In the body. All right, but let's talk about these fears. Mm. So fear, I'm going to talk about fear of abandonment first, just because I believe it's an artifact of how we're born. We are in the womb. Most of us, we are in the womb. We do not experience need. We do not experience, well, most of us do not experience pain. We are just floating around in this amniotic sac. We don't experience hunger. We don't experience cold, warm. We don't, we just, we're just in mom's body there at body temperature with the, the fluids just feeding us. And then in one cataclysmic moment, we are expelled from that heaven. And from that moment on, the only way that we're going to get fed is if we experience hunger, experience the pain of hunger, express that we are in pain, and then we will get fed. Before we have language, before we have words, before we have anything, we feel cold, warm. We feel uncomfortable in our diaper. We feel hungry and we cry. And until we feel the pain of the discomfort and cry, our need doesn't get met. And very quickly we figure out, we don't really figure it out, but we have this experience 
that our parent doesn't know what the need is. And so sometimes they don't do the thing that we're crying for. You know, I'm uncomfortable in my diaper. It's not even wet. I'm just uncomfortable in my diaper. And my parent is trying to feed me a breast. (laughs) And I understand my parents just trying to figure out why. Right? Okay. I think in the cataclysmic moment of birth, when we realize that life, one part of life is going to be feel pain before we can get the pain ameliorated, I think that's the moment we have the fear of abandonment. That moment when we cry one night Mm. and it takes too long for our parents to come. That moment when they try to give us a clean diaper when what we really want is a breast or they try to give us a breast when what we really want is a clean diaper. That moment when we realize, not maybe consciously, but we have this experience that we everything's relying on somebody else taking care of us and sometimes that somebody else doesn't take care of us wow that's a moment right and we get that moment before we even have words for that moment so again i want to say when you haya when you have that moment of jealousy that's triggered by fear okay you got to know that fear it's deep it's profound it, it should, what I wanted to call up in you is a moment when you close your eyes and speak to your inner child and say, Stan taught me this. You just close your eyes, see your inner child and just say, I will always love you and I will never leave you. It is mm. a powerful thing to, or go to a mirror, just look in the mirror and look at yourself and just say, I will always love you. I will never leave you. Because yeah, yeah, there's no powerful. cure for our fear. We're going to be afraid. We're going to be afraid. People think that yeah. um, being brave is the opposite of being afraid. But if you talk to any people you know who are brave, what makes them brave is that they feel the fear, but they don't let the fear stop them. Yeah. I think the most profound moment of jealousy I ever felt was quite a long time ago. Um, I had just broken up with a girlfriend of like 18 months, like my first serious girlfriend, I think. And um, she was crying and she was upset and she left to go and talk to a friend of mine and I was destroyed. Uh, And it took me many, many years to figure out where that jealousy came from. But I think it was just the, you know, she, she knew where to go and find support and where to find uh, help. And I felt in that moment that I wasn't needed. And it was so weird to feel that layered in with the fact that I had broken up with her and that I was okay with that. Obviously, I'd mulled that decision over for a long time. But it was such a complicated emotion. And ultimately, it just, it all layered together in this, in this incredible melange of emotions. It just all hit me at the same time. And it was just so hard to, to pick it apart and figure out what to deal with first. Right. It was just complete right. overwhelm. Absolutely. And that thought, oh my God, I'm not needed. That thought is equivalent to oh my God, I might spend the rest of my life alone. Yeah, totally. Right? And and we humans, we're social animals. They're really the thing, our, our, aside from killing other humans, the l- biggest pain we can inflict on each other is solitary confinement, right? Because not let you interact with other humans. That would be the worst punishment you could give somebody. It's deep in us. We're social. Even those of us that are introverts, we're still yeah. social. 
Well, and that's showing up more and more right now in quarantines and stuff. Um, it's been extremely painful. So this all leads a little to self-esteem. It's really hard to look in a mirror and say, I will always love you. I will never leave you. If you're not really sure you love you. Yep. Mm. Okay. So self-esteem and self-worth. This is a, this is a thing. It's a, I think it's a, a kind of modern struggle. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what people in the 15th or 16th or 17th century were like. I know what people are like in the 20th and 21st century. And in the 20th and 21st century, there's a lot of information that could be interpreted as you don't matter, you're worthless, and besides, you're ugly and you smell bad. <laughs> That's kind of kind of <laughs> this constant barrage of you're not using the right shampoo. Oh my God, you have a wrinkle. You've got to go get some surgery, Botox. You, um, your hair. Come on, blondes have more fun. You got to get. You got to do something about that hair. You got gray hair. You're invisible. You're overwhelmed. Oh my God, how could you carry that much weight? That's not healthy. You're right. Just this constant, constant barrage of you're not okay. You're not okay. And it's very hard to overcome that. It's very hard to become a source of okayness for yourself. Okay. Yeah. And that really, I feel like in a large measure, that's been my life's work is learning what it is that brings me back to center. What it is that brings me back to self-love, self-acceptance, and it's, it's not one thing. It's a lot of things. Okay. It's at first, I have to notice my self-talk. I have to notice the stuff I know. Chess, I think you might be my 30 year older twin. <laughs> well, I'm going to take that as a compliment. Thank you. <laughs> well, all I'm saying is that you're really speaking my language yeah. right now. So, so first, yeah. first it's self-talk. Okay. Um, there's a wonderful woman, uh, By Byron Katie. B-Y-R-O-N, second name, K-A-T-I-E. Byron Katie was depressed for 10 years, tried psychiatry and psychology, and nothing was really working. And on her own, she came up with what she calls the work. And if you go online and search this, Byron Katie, the work, the heart of the work is four questions. It's four questions. You have a thought, okay? And our tendency with our thought is to think our thoughts are true. So the four questions are, is it true? Can you absolutely know that it's true or do you just think it's true? How do you react? What happens when you believe that thought? And who would you be without that thought? Is it true? Can you know it's true? What happens when you believe it's true? Who would you be if you didn't have that thought? Self-esteem comes from this. That moment when you think, oh, I'm stupid. Is that true? Well, yeah, I think it really is true. Okay. Well, can you know whether it's true or not? Well, I don't know. You know, it's not like I can check the, I don't, how would I know? Right. I just think it's true. Okay. How do you feel? What happens when you believe that you're stupid? And what would your life be if you didn't believe you were stupid? Powerful mm. questions. Powerful questions. I'm unlovable. Is that true? I just am, I'm just not good enough. Is that true? 
It's a great place to start with self-esteem, is to just notice your self-talk and just ask yourself, is it true? Sometimes I ask myself, where did I learn that? Oh, this, is, this has been my struggle with sort of finally coming back into love with my parents because I, so many things I learned because they just said it over and over and over again. What's the matter with you, you stupid? You know, what, you know right? There, there were all these, th my, I, I can remember my alcoholic father screaming and yelling at my, at my mother who was trying to drink with him because she thought that was better than somehow just letting him get drunk alone and they're breaking plates and there's, and I'm in my bed, I'm seven, five years old, I'm in my bed, I'm crying, my father hears me, no, hears noise upstairs, the kids, right, come storming up the stairs He's because he's mad that I'm awake, right, because he's mad at my mother, <laughs> so throws open the door, throws on the light, you know, what are you doing still awake? I say to him, I'm scared there's monsters on under the bed grabs me throws me under the bed you know makes me look under the bed makes me look in the closet just see any monsters no, i don't see any monsters okay well whatever's there in the light that's what's there in the dark now go to sleep boom 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 boom, boom downstairs and now i've got two things i'm afraid of my dad and the monsters right hmm. must be something wrong with me my other siblings they're not seeing monsters <laughs> you know sad but true we were adults. It wasn't until I was an adult and I was in Al-Anon that I actually talked to my sisters and brothers, because we were all in the same little house together, and, and discovered we were all just lying in our beds crying. And we couldn't tell each other because we all thought somehow it was our fault. Somehow we'd failed. Somehow we were, you know, we brought this on ourselves. Okay, so I... I don't want pity. I've, I've done a lot of work on this story. And really, honestly, I feel so sad for my dad. My dad missed, God, he missed so much. I, I, I have so much joy for my daughter. And my dad missed all that. He never got all that. He, he, he wasn't there to get it. He didn't know it was even available to him. I feel so sorry for him. Like the thing I think he hungered for, the reason he had all these kids, I don't think he ever got. But we all have that, right? We all have these things. Our parents told us and our teachers told us. They, we all have this belief about IQ or this belief about that money means intelligence or some somehow richer people are better than poorer people. We have this thing. We do it racially that people of one color are better or worse than people of another color. Within colors, people are different. We have it all around us. And then advertising basically makes us feel bad about something so they can sell us something to make us feel better. <laughs> so it's just all around us. All right. Jealousy happens because, right? Think of yourself, Hyatt. Think of that moment when you're jealous, you're afraid you're going to be abandoned, and you know you are abandonable. Yeah. Right. You know, in your deepest heart, oh, my God, I must have let her see something that was rejectable. I, I tell my clients all the time, you know, there's only one person who can reject you. You. Somebody does what they do and then you make up a story and you reject yourself. And that touches something really deep inside me. I think that is just... And that is the core of it, right? And so I see that I, I, I think where for me jealousy comes up is the confirmation of those, those big fears inside me. I'm looking in a window. I don't want to look in. I'm looking in a mirror. I don't want to look in. And if you would just behave differently, damn it, then I wouldn't have to look at this. Yeah, no. That's the problem, of course. If 
I'm gonna have to look at this because it's mine. <laughs> you you didn't you didn't do anything. You know, you held up a mirror and I just looked in that mirror and I didn't like what I saw and now I want you to stop holding up the mirror. Hold on here. <laughs> you know? Really I have mm -hmm. to like yep. what I see in the mirror. I have to have self-respect and self-esteem and self-worth and I'm gonna have to cultivate that. It's not gonna come from nothing. To to like what you see in the mirror and also to ground into the belief that I'm okay yeah. even if I'm alone or I have yeah. loss or I have, you know, rejection. Yeah. And okay, so that's a whole thing. Now I'm going to take a little spiritual side trip here. And uh, for those of you who are atheists or don't believe that there's a spirit greater than you, um, feel free to just ignore this part of the podcast or just hear what somebody who believes differently than you believes. I'm not proselytizing. I'm not trying to talk anybody into anything. Um, I believe that there is a power greater than me. I mean, I've spent a lot of years in 12-step work. I, I call that, I, for me, call that power God. I have had direct experiences of that power, and I see the manifestation of God in everything in this world. I see the manifestation of God when I walk. Uh, I just spent a weekend up at, in uh, Mendocino walking along the coast with my wife we, and my, my puppy. We went up to the coast and we walked on the bluffs and we looked at the ocean and, oh my God, I saw God there. You know, that's just, um, I see the manifestation of the divine in every person I ever meet. I can see a face of God in every human I ever meet. I see the manifestation of the divine in a beautiful rock, in a beautiful path. I see it in my dog. I, I see it everywhere because I have trained myself to see that. Because I believe it, and then I go looking for evidence of it, and I collect evidence of it. So that that thing you said, Kate, about being alone. Yes, there are going to be times when it's just me and my belief in my higher power. And in that way, I'm never really going to be alone. Chaz, I have spoken a little bit on the podcast about my kind of questioning process around God and spirituality. I'm in my late 20s and it feels like the first time that I've really gone through a questioning period like that. And I won't go deep into that, but one of the things I've discovered that's a value of mine, it fits with what you're saying, which is for me, God is beauty. And uh, when we find beauty around us, for me, that's one of the places that feels the most at peace. Like there's a synonymous relationship between beauty and peace for me. So I'm, and that brings me back when you were talking about, you know, looking at yourself in the mirror and finding peace really with yourself, right? There's this, there's a requirement there almost that we stretch ourselves to find beauty, even in the things we've been taught are unbeautiful. Yes. And, and so there, there again now. So why do we think some things are beautiful and some things are not beautiful? This is a really interesting thing. Why do I find, okay. Um, I'm going to be very superficial for a moment because I know you, Kate. And why is it when I look at you, I think you are beautiful? All right, you are physically. I'm not even. Never mind that I know you're. That I've met you and I've seen your beautiful heart. I think you are physically in a package that's beautiful. Okay. <laughs> why do I think this? Where does this come from? Right. Other people might look at you and think, "Yeah, you're okay. You look. You're good looking," but. 
Where is it that we decide what's beautiful, what's not? How do we learn this? Where does it come from? I've spent a lot of time really learning a few different things about beauty. One is that a lot of what we learn about beauty, we learn almost pre-verbal by the people we're surrounded by. A lot of what we learn about beauty turns out is a mirror. As we find things that are beautiful, we only see in others what's true of ourselves. And so the beauty we see in others is actually because we begin to see beauty in ourselves. People who cannot see beauty in themselves don't really see beauty. Mm, that's powerful. Yeah. And so the more beautiful beauty I can find in myself, the more beauty I find in others. Then I tell myself something. This is a really interesting thing. I, I learned this in high. I started, you know, high our personal growth workshops where there's maybe 50 people in the room with me. And I made a decision early on in my journey in high. What if I just told myself that every single person in this room is beautiful and what I need to do is find what's beautiful about them. And that one task I would set for myself any weekend was find beauty in every single person in this room. Well, here's the thing. What you look for, that's what you find. And what you focus on, that's what grows. I know that part of why I find you beautiful, Kate, is because really, honestly, you know, I go to a, a high event and I look around that room and people are so warm and so in their hearts and so unguarded. And you can, if you just look in their eyes, which you do get a chance to do, they're so beautiful. Everyone, they're so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's this is such an interesting. I know that we're supposed to be talking about jealousy, and I'm sure we'll loop it back. But uh, I am. This is just like hitting so in my heart right now. I am struggling with this of of seeing myself as beautiful, and I had gotten used to my body being a certain way, and I'm getting older, and and then I I remember I was about maybe 15, and I was with my mom and a bunch of her friends. And one of the women who was, you know, late fifties at the time said, I figured out that every time I get used to my body and believe I'm beautiful, something changes. And I have wasted all the time I had before worrying about it. You know, so like I spent my whole twenties, she said, worrying that my thighs were too fat. And then I had babies and then I, and then suddenly I had stretch marks. And then I spent my whole thirties worrying about my stretch marks, you know, like, and then you get to your sixties and suddenly you have wrinkles and You've wasted your life focusing on the things that are wrong with you now, never looking ahead to how you're going to inevitably change. You're never going to be perfect and you're never going to be stagnant. We change. and Well, and the thing you're looking at, you're not seeing. So this is right. what, what made Okay, so there's a, um, a French writer wrote a, a children's book called The Little Prince, uh, uh, Antoine Saint-Exupéry. Such a beautiful book. Susanna uh, Saint-Exupéry uh, wrote in that book, he said, it, it is not with our eyes that we see. It's with our heart. And that's what, it, what I learned. What I learned was when I look with eyes of love, when I soften 
and stop trying to guard myself or gird myself from what might be coming my way and just attempt to be as unguarded as I can be in my heart? The beauty I see, all right, I'm, I'm 67 years old, I'm overweight, I'm diabetic, I've got gray hair. I can give you lots and lots of things that might not appear beautiful until you look with the eyes of love. And I think we all know this because we have moments of it when we fall in love with someone and to us that person is beautiful. And it really doesn't matter what other people say, right? When we look at them, we just think they're beautiful. And so, I, honestly, I think the goal, or at least my goal, I want to fall in love with everybody. I want to give my, my heart the opportunity to fall in love with everybody I meet. I'm not going to have sex with everybody. I'm not going to marry everybody. I'm not going to invite them all into my home. But in my heart, I'm going to try. I'm going to put myself forward and attempt to fall in love with every single person I meet. To care about them. To see something beautiful in their face. To see something in their eyes. To see something in their shape. To, to um, have a shared moment where both our hearts get engaged. Because those shared moments, they live in me forever, you know? And I imagine that as you practice that, you grow your own ability to love yourself. Yeah, that's what I think. I think what we focus on grows. Mm -hmm. Focus on love, love is going to grow. What we practice, mm -hmm. that's what we get good at. It took me a long time. It's such a simple lesson, but it took me a long time to get it. When I practiced keeping, holding people away, when I practiced being guarded, I got really good at being guarded. Mm. You know, what we practice, that's what we get good at. And so as we practice this state of seeing with love, yeah. of viewing the world with our heart, how does that then translate back to jealousy? Well, that's why I love jealousy, okay? So here's here's what I love about jealousy. This is why... People say to me, I'm jealous. I say, good for you. And they look at me like I'm crazy. I say, oh, <laughs> to be fair, that's the response you would have gotten from me too. <laughs> the reason you're jealous is because your heart's engaged. Because you care about that person. Because your heart belonged to that person. And you didn't get the reaction you thought you would get. Or you didn't get the behavior you thought you would get. And there's going to be, you may have to let go of some of the anger of that it's out of your control. And you're going to have to spend a little time really calming your fear that you're not lovable. And that you're going to be alone forever. And then I want you to just embrace the warmth that's fueling that jealousy. Because the warmth that's fueling that jealousy is that you actually care. You care about this person. And if you talk to couples who have been together a long time, we cherish that possessiveness of jealousy. We cherish it. Karen really wants mm -hmm. to know in that moment when she's talking to somebody else and I kind of want her to be paying attention to me, that she wants to know that I really want to stand up in that room and go, that woman is mine! <laughs> you know? Get your hands off her. She's mine. It makes Karen melt to know that I'm thinking that. When, I, when I'm talking to some pretty woman and Karen looks over at me and I can see just a moment of concern in her face and I think, that woman really loves me. That woman really loves mm. me. I think jealousy is a healthy thing that happens. 
And I think what poisons it is we think we shouldn't feel it. We think we're wrong or bad or that it's somehow not good for us instead of just saying to the person that we're feeling it about, just admitting it, owning it. I want to suggest jealousy is not a problem, yeah. right? My dog gets jealous mm -hmm. when I pet the cat because my dog loves me with all her heart and I love my dog with all of my heart. And you know what? It's not a problem that she gets jealous. Mm -hmm. And it strikes me as we're, you know, the arching across this whole conversation that again, when we can be in a place of loving openness and realness in that jealousy, that's yeah. when we can express it in a way that it communicates love. Yeah, exactly so. Exactly so. Mm -hmm. And and some people aren't going to stay in our lives. They're going to move on and we will have to deal with the pain of that. But lots of times we, we, we take our jealousy and we build a wall between us, us and the other person because we're jealous. <laughs> and, and the wall becomes this self-fulfilling thing, right? We drive the person away. We drive them out of our heart because we think we shouldn't feel the jealousy we're feeling. Beautiful. Chaz, thank you so much for just a lovely conversation. I am so enriched and I genuinely wish we could talk for another three hours with you. Um, and I, I'm just, I'm enriched and you've left me with lots to think about. So thank you. You're very, very welcome. I want to say, because I know you personally, Kate, that you know you are welcome to call anytime. And we'd love I will love do that. Let's talk. Yeah. I'll take advantage of my privilege of having a direct line to you and, uh, and you too, Haya. To talk you about too, Haya. I'm not leaving you out. <laughs> my heart is full. Thank so, you. Yes. Thanks for asking. And thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning into the Human Awareness Podcast. For more information about the Human Awareness Institute or our workshops, please visit our website at hi.org. That is hi.org. As always, it was a pleasure to have you with us. See you soon. <laughs>